Welcome to Tackless Radio. Just for the fun of it Tell him. So much money I don't know what to do with it Tell him. Don't pick up my phone, ain't knowing what the time Tell him. I got me one gun and an alibi Tell him. So much love the Here's the thing, thing like Lucky for you all, I am self-aware enough to know when I'm in the wrong And I'm willing to tell you all now that I was in the wrong. It is a sin for the fact that I just picked up and found out who Labyrinth is. I know everybody probably got a little bit more familiar with him, with his musical collaboration with the HBO show Euphoria. And it was just beautifully done. It It was an amazing soundtrack to a beautifully shot, crazy-ass story. That's why I won the awards that it did. You know, Zendaya, I have never seen a better crackhead. You know, Tony award-winning shit right there, I'm saying. So I'm watching the series, and of course, a lot of music is popping up, and you get to the credits, and they're showing you who did what, and da, da, da. But you see, at least for me, like this is my point of view of everything. While I'm watching the show, I see Labyrinth popping up over and over and over. And I'm like, okay, I'm really liking the music. It's super dope. It is beautifully produced. And I really appreciate that about the soundtrack for this show. And then when I went to figure out who labyrinth was and found out he was a black man i was like oh i am so sorry black man that i have been sleeping on you apparently you've been out for forever like been in the game since 2010 but i'ma just you know blame it on the fact that he is a british rapper producer songwriter singer it's delayed news okay it's just delayed news i'm just getting it i am so sorry i should have been more aware of who he was and then i saw the list of people he's worked with and i'm like i am upset that i have not came across him earlier i'm really upset at myself about that 
And then when I saw that his government name is Timothy Lee McKenzie, I'm like, this man might be Ken. Cousin, is that you? (laughs) The song that you heard coming in was Mount Everest by Labyrinth. It's a really beautiful song, to tell you the truth. You all should check out the rest of it. And we're just going to go ahead and get into Shit I Saw. Okay. We're going to go ahead and head on over to TikTok, which is interesting. I don't give TikTok to you all as often as I give you all Twitter. But I find TikTok to be just as interesting and enjoyable and educational. So, for instance. A couple months ago, I made a video about being willing to do tubal ligations for people child-free in their 20s. And that video got the craziest response. Not just in the views and shared. People actually started coming to me from all across like the eastern United States for tubals because they're having trouble finding doctors near them who are willing to do it. I mean, people have been coming from Florida, Virginia, DC. Um, I'm outside of Philadelphia. There's a doctor on TikTok by the name of Karen Tang, K A R E N T A N G M D, is her TikTok handle. And one of her videos received a lot of reviews, so she made a second video in response to her first video. Would you like to know what her first video was about? It was about ligations. What are ligations, you may ask? That is the burning of fallopian tubes so that you cannot produce a child. And I know maybe a couple of people out there, when they just heard me explain that, they were like, ooh, my stomach hurts, cringe, cringe, cringe. But no, 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 no. There are a lot of women seeking to have this procedure done and being told no interestingly enough yet again other people telling you what you can do with your body I just think um the hypocrisy is at an all-time high because men can walk into any doctor's office and ask for a vasectomy and it is just given to them but if a woman wants a ligation process done she is told no in hopes for what her future husband would want her mind might change she'll want the baby after it gets here you'll feel different later And then you go through hoops and jump through rings of fire to not get pregnant. But what are your options? Birth control, take that bitch every day. Don't forget to take it every day. Shot, great, now I'm 50 pounds heavier. The patch, does it work? Maybe, I don't know. Condoms, yes. We're baby, we looking for 100% because the unfortunate thing is It don't take much but one for us to get pregnant. So we need 100% effective. (laughs) And to tell you the truth, a lot of women are saying to themselves, I just want to be able to ride on the fun stick and not have to worry about the goop. Burn them off. So let me kind of give it to you in a different way that I think really allows for us to meet in the middle. And when I say us, I mean men and women. 
Because I think there's something, ladies, that men want us to know. And that is that we don't hold ourselves accountable. So before I continue, I want every woman who has a man or something like it in her life to pause this podcast right now and go get them. Okay. All right. Is he here, girl? Amazing. Look, your girlfriend brought you to me because she wants you to know that she understands that she does not hold herself accountable as often as she should. There are times that women make excuses. And you know what? I want to let you know, young sir, that I am trying to create a platform that is going to allow women to hold themselves accountable. But here's the thing, though, King. Here's the thing. I need your help because it's going to take the both of us to get her on track. You know, it's going to take the both of us. I'm going to need your help. Are you with me? Are you with me? Sis, did he shake his head? Yes. Okay. If he didn't, get rid of him. But if he did, yes. We are doing this together. We are we are now both saying that we are making an agreement to work together for this woman here who has strayed so far to now come back and say, you know what? I messed up and I want to do better because the first step is acknowledging the wrong. How many times have you all said, my baby mama, I hate her. I would leave her. Oh, but the child, no, I get it. The child support, they garnish your wages. The kids are resentful. Who wants that? You know what? There's a, there's a solution. There's a solution. And it can only get done by a man. And this is what I need you all to do. I need you all to go to Congress, the House of Representatives, your local offices, your aldermans, and your councils. And I need you all to tell them to get the fuck out of women's wombs because they would like to burn their fallopian tubes off so that we don't ever have to worry about children. Have you ever thought about how fun it would be to not have that type of responsibility because here's the thing I know I know I know some of you all already started to stray I know some of you all already started to stray let me bring you back in let me bring you back in because get this I understand she's got to do her part too this is her doing her part she wants to burn off the her fallopian tube she wants to get rid of them but she can't because she's a woman we need a man to go talk to other men who apparently are all in positions of power. Golly, that was just like such a coincidence, just all the men in the positions, you know, considering they're making decisions about a particular body part they have absolutely no idea about how it works. You know, it's so crazy how that that worked out. So it means that we're going to need you all to really help us help ourselves Asking your bros to get out of our wombs. Because 
I understand you y'all. I, it's it's a crazy concept. I know. Sit with it. Sit with it. Come back maybe later. We can talk it out a little bit more. Because I understand options, right? Options. Because if you are upset about her burning her tubes because what if her husband wants to have children in the future? What if she wants to have children in the future? And it's interesting because the comment section under this doctor's video were so many women saying that I wish to have a ligation because of tumors, of cysts, of fibroids, of medical conditions. I have sickle cell and just wish not to pass that bloodline along. There are many reasons why a person would make this decision. But for some reason, it's only been boiled down to the, the, the future child that you've not conceived and what a man might think about it. And he don't even push the baby out. So I get it. If you feel like you still want to have those rules and play cool, because option B is a vasectomy, you know? Why not? Why not? If you are upset about her burning her tubes off, then you be a man and step up and get snipped. Because that's a fun time all around as well. I am pro vasectomy. I will go to the Million Man March with my I Love Men banner in support of vasectomies. We got to get y'all in there because y'all are out here sowing your seeds like we are still in 100 BC. Baby, those were rules back then when people were dying at 30. I need y'all to update the time. I need y'all to update with the times, okay? I don't need you spreading your seed everywhere. You are not flowers. <laughs> you I understand that a lot of men probably feel like getting a vasectomy is emasculating because it quote unquote drains the seed, the balls and blah, blah, blah. But get this. It's so interesting how you look at the sperm that's inside of your sack. When it's inside of your sack, it is the holy grail. But the moment you shoot it out into a individual who can receive it and make it into a baby then all of a sudden you fucking hate the situation and you hate the child and you hate the mother. But it's like, if you, King, saw yourself as royalty, wouldn't you be particular about which clubs you shot up? Where your legacy and name continued? I'm just saying, it's 50-50 on both sides. She's taking her accountability. We covered her. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, King. Hold the mirror up to you too. I'm just saying, I, 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 I'm just taking a wild guess here that women should be able to go ahead and just burn their tubes if they understand and have made the decision that they are totally fine with not having a child, especially we are dying at the highest rates when it comes to childbirth. That's the thing that I don't think a lot of men get. Like getting a vasectomy, oh, you're emasculating yourself, blah, blah, blah. Let me burn my tubes or else I will die. Like it be life or death when it come to women in this country. 
<laughs> I don't really think y'all get that yet. Like, I don't really think y'all get that yet. And the doctor was talking about how so many women from Florida, Virginia would come to her and she's located outside of Philly for the procedure. She said that she's gotten requests from all over for people who are willing to travel for her to do the procedure because so many doctors refuse to do it for the bullshit reason that I might change my mind even though I know what I want for my body my future husband might have a say why I might not ever get married like why are we holding out for a nigga I ain't got for the hopes of it the fuck what if I don't even want a man Foolish for you to assume I even want a man. Tie these tubes and get this. And I think this one is the craziest one. For the fact that I might have an illness where I need to remove my fallopian tubes or my uterus or any of my reproductive organs. And you rather have me die just for the option that I might conceive in the future. Because in this country, we are seen as little baby-making factories, even up to your last dying breath. So, fellas, if you are tired of child support, if you are tired of your crazy baby mama and creating crazy baby mamas then please please help us help you fight for her right to tie the tubes tight okay that's all I'm saying we can work together on this you know more vasectomies more ligations for everyone you know because we have enough people okay we don't need more and to tell you the truth, I really want y'all to remove that whole idea that the child has to have came from your quote unquote bloodline for you to be able to create, create a legacy. There are so many children out there in need of a home. You do not have to push one out to quote unquote create your legacy. Okay. What are you, Queen Elizabeth, a fucking monarch? Get the fuck out of here. Okay. So let's just work together. Okay, because we can do this together when we work together. And I am really trying to use my platform to bring us together. All right, all right. Go ahead and pass the collection plate around. <laughs> hello, Gia. How are you today, beautiful? Well, hello there, lovely. I'm so good. I'm so glad to be here with you. Thank you for this I, invitation. Well, thank you for coming because I know right now you're taking somewhat of a work sabbatical. You are down in Texas, hanging out with family, letting oh, your no, hair. Working. <laughs> <laughs> you never take it off. <laughs> no, I'm working remote. <laughs> you but know I what? That's better than Texas with family. Yeah. That's good. I mean, working remote is better than working in the goddamn office. And it's better that you're in Texas because we got about a foot of snow in Chicago. So don't oh, come back anytime God. soon. Do not Girl, come I back. Keep hearing, I keep hearing. I keep hearing. <laughs> well, I'm looking at some sun. 
Yes. Bring the sun back with you, girl. I'm on Well, Gia, I would love for my audience to get to know you a little bit. But of course, I'll give the backstory of how I met you. So I would classify Gia as like a big sister I never had. Like my cousin, my big cousin, I like go to to bail me out of like trouble, but has just really become... A really good girlfriend who we met through a leadership and learning development program that I ran and Gia was essentially a student in. And from there, we've had some deep conversations. We've had some hard conversations. We've had some enlightening conversations. We've had some why no conversations, but we have great (laughs) conversations nonetheless. And I wanted us to continue having one of those amazing conversations here on Tackless Radio. So before we get into our topic for the day, I would just love if you could introduce yourself and tell us where you work, what your hobbies are. Do you like long walks on the beach? Do you like flowers? (laughs) You want it all. I want it all. I want it all. All right. right. I will give you some stuff. Um, So I am, I'm originally from El Paso, Texas. Um, I've been in Chicago about five years. I love everything about Chicago except for the winter. And hence the reason why I'm here. Um, But I work at a, I work for an academic institution and I direct a higher ed and jail program. So um, I work with folks who are currently incarcerated at the Cook County Department of Corrections, and we provide them with um, with courses, theological education. And um, and then I wear some other hats, um, do, you know, try the like core values, you know, is really doing this work around justice and making uh, making a, a better world for, for all of us where we can all kind of flourish. So I have my hands on several different projects and things that I also do as well. Um, when I'm not working and creating and doing some amazing community building stuff, I am probably at the gym, uh, yes. <laughs> or I, amazing, uh, by the way, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I work out in the gym like every day. So I am, I am definitely putting in some work. So it's been about 40 plus days now since the new year. And where are you with your resolution? Have you been exercising? eating right, practicing self-care. Because I know you want to be like Gia and commit to a schedule and work out every single day, but it might be tough to get started. But that's okay, because I got you. If you mention Tackless when visiting Connect Health and Fitness on 1031 North Orleans in Chicago's River North area, they'll go ahead and give you a introductory discounted rate to figure out how to improve you, not just looking at what you're doing, but what you're not doing to put together the long-term puzzle that are your goals that you're planning to reach for 2022. That I, Be Bad at Techless Radio, told you to stop by and jumpstart your new life and new health for a new you this 2022. Oh, y'all like how that rhymed. <laughs> um, or hanging with friends like you and having amazing conversations and um, and are hanging out with my, my little pup. I have, I have a little doggy. Her name is Cutie. Super clever name, huh? (laughs) I was about to say, have we landed on a name for the dog? Yes, her name. Her name is Cutie and she's so cute. (laughs) She is adorable. I'm not going to lie. She is absolutely adorable. She's wonderful. Well, thank you, sis, 
for introducing yourself and joining me today for our tactless topic, which I'm super excited to dive a little bit deeper into because I know that this is one that so many people of color, specifically black individuals can relate to. And we're talking about church. (laughs) We're Mm -hmm. talking about spirituality, religion, black church, church in general, God. Um, And the reason why I want to have this conversation is because I am coming to have other conversations with millennials, with people in their 30s and their 40s. And what I am realizing, especially in their 20s, is what I am realizing is the way that I was raised, which was that you go to church on Sunday, you go to Bible study on Tuesday, you got choir practice on Wednesday, is essentially not the same experience that a lot of younger individuals are going through. And then you have individuals who are close to our age that are like, girl, I don't go to church at all. Like I recently stepped inside of a church house because my mother had a speaking engagement, but to tell you the truth, Gia, I can't remember the last time that I physically was inside of a church. And it's a lot of the conversations are around deconstructing Christianity, people realizing the church or just the theological practices of what was taught to them is not necessarily what they themselves believe, but what we were indoctrinated to believe because we were kids and we just grew up in the church. And you have a lot of people who will say, I'm spiritual, but I am not religious um, because we understand that the gossip in the church and taxing and sending the collection plate around three, four times. It is a lot of the hypocrisy and a lot of the trauma and the tormenting in church houses that we specifically as people of color and black people have gone through that when we became older and we had choice, we were like, yeah, I'm good on that. I don't think I want to go to the, I don't think I want to go to the church house because of just the experiences that we've, we've gone through as kids and as teenagers. So I want to kind of like unpack some of those things today with you because we've had these conversations. You have such an expansive understanding of, and I feel like I might be using some of my words incorrectly, but you have a very amazing perspective of church. One that's not like a pastor or an apostle, but someone who's gone to school, someone who understands it a little bit more on its surface level, not necessarily so esoteric about like, well, this is what the Bible want you to do. It's like, this is what it is as an instruction manual. So I first want to say, how do you identify religious or spiritual or otherwise? And just kind of give me an understanding of your upbringing in the church. Yeah, absolutely. So first I want to say, this is like, this is a great conversation. Um, Yes. Everything that you just shared are things that I have heard from so many folks in my own community. And in some things that I've also experienced. So I did not grow up in the church. Um, I did grow up. Um, I often say that it was the it was the prayers of a mother wrestling and pleading with God to to really kind of like to grab hold of her children and to really save them. Um, and so it was I, I, I often credit my mom um, for who me and my brother are, are becoming. And so so my mom was definitely a praying woman. We definitely believed in Jesus and Christianity. We went to church, you know, on Easter and Christmas. But for the most part, I just did not grow up in the institution of church. And when we did go, we would go to non-denominational church. Um, it was a mega church. Um, it was a it was really co-pastored by a, a husband and a wife. So, yeah, so, so it was in some ways, I mean, it was in some, in some ways it was progressive and in other ways it was conservative. Um, and so it wasn't really until I was in my thirties, to be honest, is when my, is when I had like, kind of like this radical 
awakening. And it wasn't because I went to church. It wasn't because somebody, you know, preached the message and asked me if I wanted salvation, but literally like I was, I was just at bottom, like the bottom had kind of fallen out for me and there was no way up. And so I often say that like, um, that I had, I had a moment, I had an experience with, with God, with creator, with spirit. Um, and I don't even know that I can't even say that I was consciously aware that that's what was happening. But what I remember is that I, I, there was, it was literally like, I could see some memories of my life as if I was looking through a photo album and these, and these memories were just kind of like, I was flipping through them, but what I could see was my heart's was the content of my heart. And there was this moment where I was just like, I don't know that I like myself, but I also don't know how to change myself. And so that was really kind of the, that was the entrance into like this, like 10 year dark night of the soul. And so, um, mystics are, are, um, a part of like the Christian tradition and mysticism is what I love about mystics is that they tend to be more like Howard Thurman, black, um, Howard Thurman is a black theologian, mystic, um, really great friends, um, mentor to Martin Luther King. And, and he was a mystic and he talks about like mysticism as kind of like, as having like this, this, this experience, this transformative experience, um, with God. And you can have multiple transformative experiences. And it's not this thing that's, that's out of reach for other people. Right. Um, and so I, that, that was something that really resonated for me with my experience. And, and it was that, that kind of led me into, um, the church. And from that point, I, I found myself in different church communities throughout this time. But for the most part, it was like, I always felt very disconnected from the institution of church, but I felt very deeply connected to this, to this spiritual relationship, to something that was happening in my inner being. Um, and it was, and it was this relationship that, that I, that I was in with God. And in, in that process, I was, I was changing and I was growing. It doesn't mean that I didn't have relate. It doesn't mean that I didn't have people in my life. I did. I had, I had pockets of people who I would say were very much so my church. Um, yeah. It was, and it yeah. was in those relationships, <laughs> right, where I really, there were safe relationships, safe people, um, where where I really started to see myself kind of blossom and kind of grow, and eventually this path led me to um, leave a six figure corporate gig, um, apply for a Bible college in Australia, and the whole thing. <laughs> was a freaking mess. And I didn't end up going to Australia and it was terrible. I ended up going back to California and enrolling in, um, in seminary. Oh no, you're totally fine because it's awesome to kind of hear your spiritual religious journey because we all have very different ones. And it's good to know that you kind of have like your aha moment in your thirties because yeah. a lot of people end up having an aha moment similar to mine but it's in the inverse where like, by the time I got to my thirties, I was like, Oh, this church stuff. Yeah. It is very, very interesting seeing it with your own eyes versus like what you've been taught to look at, what you've been taught to see, what you've been taught to believe. And then kind of having your, your own relationship with God, which is what my mother preaches to this day, have your own relationship with God. When I began to have my own relationship with God, mm, even though I know that, (laughs) It says that the church is the Lord's bride. It is her, it is 
the right hand man. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. And, I, and it really is because of a lot of the trauma and a lot of the experiences that I had growing up in the church. I grew up Baptist, like started off super duper Baptist, like super black church experience. Like it's fun. I, I, I mean, I will say this. I'm happy that I had the black church experience because it's some really good laughs on the other side <laughs> of like all the church jokes and all the inside jokes that we kind of understand and that we all have just been indoctrinated to understand. But I got bullied at school and then I would go to church and I'd be like, I got bullied at church. <laughs> I did not have a lot of friends at school, but I didn't. I also didn't have a lot of friends at church. Um, it was a lot of favoritism in church. It was like the nieces of the pastor got away with murder and everybody else got in trouble. It was like these very, uh, the hypocrisy, there we go. The hypocrisy of what was being taught in Sunday school, but was not necessarily modeled is what made me say, I don't think I can really get behind all of this church stuff. And then as I got older and started to read the Bible and really understand the context of the words and how it was delivered through church, because I will admit I grew up Baptist and then my mom was like, eh, she started to feel some type of way because the favoritism, in my opinion, started to get to her. My mother started my, like the first church that I grew up in, my mother started their entire nursery, their entire school and didn't get, in my opinion, more than a pat on the back. And mm -hmm. she put her whole foot and like their programming for their children. And it was kind of like the people who gave more, the people who did more, the people who like sweat and gave their blood, sweat and tears to the church, you know, got like a little call out on Sunday and they would live for those moments. And I was like, this is a very trifling way to run a church that everyone is vying for this, like this attention as if this pastor is God and he's not like, mm -hmm. to, like stand above everyone as if you're better than them was crazy to me because we are all equal. At least that's what they mm -hmm. said. So then we transitioned to a, a non-denominational church by the time I was a teenager and they, and that church had all the perks, you know, it had a game room and a cafe and like, your lock-in nights, you know, all the things that would draw in a teenage crowd to want to be closer to church. But that's when I would see a lot more cattiness and like the boys were just really disrespectful and mean and only wanted one thing. And I'm like, I thought church was supposed to be different than what I was getting at school, what I was getting out in the neighborhood. It didn't feel like the the solace that they said that they were supposed to be. So by the time I became 30 and I had my own relationship with God and started understanding the scripture for what it is, I kind of told myself I need to, to take a step back and really look at religion hard in the face, specifically because of the patriarchy that is in it, because of the racism that is in it. Understanding that the Bible was a tool that was used to control slaves. Like a lot of the historical context just outside of Christianity, I had to grapple with to say, okay, how much of this am I going to use and how much of this am I going to have to, you know, put down because of the goals and the values and the principles and morals that I have as an individual. No, I mean, there's so much to say about what you just shared. And I think the first thing I want to say is like, I'm really sorry that you experienced so much hurt in the church. Um, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's when the church isn't being the church. Um, and there's this disconnect between the system of beliefs that you proclaim to have and how you actually embody those. 
Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like faith without works is dead. And we can talk about, we can use that in so many different ways, right? Like, like in, in how well you are actually participating in what we call sanctification, right? Like, like the internal work of becoming what it is that, that Jesus stood for. Right. Um, and how you put on, um, these, the, these, these, um, these ideals of like, um, working, like advocating for the poor, right. Working for those on behalf of those who have been oppressed by like not causing more harm, working on forgiveness. You know what I mean? Like Not (laughs) casting judgment, you know, like all of these things that, that, that our Christian faith is, is that we proclaim to do that we actually don't do. And so we do, we cause a lot of hurt. And I think that the church is a place that's, that's full of hurt people wounded yeah. people. Right. Um, and, and, and I think that the health of the church to some, to some extent is, is, is really reflective of, of how much the church, how much the people themselves are doing their, their own work, you know, to, to be aware sure. of those, of the ways in which they, you know, they can wound and harm. I think sometimes we use religion to, to, we use religion as a mask to shield us from seeing the things that we don't want to see with inside of ourselves. And, and I think, and I think, well, I think what we're robbing ourselves of is that I think that, I think that part of what is so beautiful, at least what I have found to be, um, and even just like who we see Jesus throughout scripture, right. And like how Jesus walked with people was that Jesus, there was always this open invitation to come as you are. Yes. And that you will find rest with me, right. That you will be received by me. And it's the, and it's the same now, right. Like I think, I think that when we are willing to, to, to take off the mask and, and be honest with ourselves about who we are and who we may not be and recognize that like, that there is a creator that sees those things and, and wants to love us out of them. Right. Or, or to love us into wholeness. Right. Um, and, and because we use religion as a mask, we rob ourselves of every of time, that. every time, <laughs> every time. And then we, and then we wound other people. And so, and so, yeah, so I think the church hurt is real and, and I don't think that anyone should ever stay in a place where you are being wounded, right? Yeah. You're being harmed. Right. And so, so, so part of that is, is, is making decisions to find a safe community. Um, so thank you for, for, yeah, for sharing, for sharing a little bit about just some of your own. Oh, no. Thank you, because I recently this past weekend had um, an opportunity to go visit the Lorraine Motel, which was ghostly, if you ask me. It was a very important um, trip. Me and my partner went down this past weekend to the Lorraine Motel, um, which for those who are unaware, the the Lorraine Motel is where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. and got to see the balcony, got to see the hotel room that he was in, even got to see the bathroom across the street of where the assassin was when he shot him. And the reason I'm breaking all of this up is because I was able to see how powerful the Black church was in one point in history. Yeah. It was the place of congregation. It was the place where you could get a free meal. It was the place where kids were taken care of. It was the place essentially where Black Americans were able to find their salvation and were able to overcome some oppressions. Um, it was our meeting place for uh, for everything that we needed to get done as a community. So I am very much so aware of the importance of church in the black community, in black America, in black history. 
but I'm also just as aware of the harm that mm-hmm. it has caused. I think we see like these pimp pastors who are taking people's money and buying things they have no business buying and leaving their congregation poor. We all hear the jokes and see the memes about the pastor has a Bentley, but his entire congregation is getting on the bus. We've even seen it just not even in black churches. I'm going to be fair. Joel Osteen been out, been down there at Texas oh, yeah. acting up. <laughs> like Joel Osteen been down there acting up. Like it's gotten to a point where I think we can kind of start to see because of social media, out because of technology. But my generation, our, our generation is very much so like, wait a minute. I need y'all to walk the walk and talk the talk. Like, I don't, I'm not going to allow for you all to be like, keep the faith, keep the faith. But you all are literally directly harming people in your congregation, harming the communities. Like you all are taking from people where in one point, the black church was the pinnacle of our, of our existence and our change. And if we can get back to that, maybe I'll be a member again, but it is so far from, it's so far removed in my opinion of where we used to be when it came to, congregation in the black church. And I know for, and I know that your experience is a little different from where you weren't growing up in black churches, but from a historical mm-hmm. context, I think we all understand how important yeah. black churches were back in the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies. They're important now, um, yeah. depending upon the congregation and how the pastor or the apostle sets everything up. But I think we, and when I say we, I mean millennials and younger individuals feel that the church and the structure and the politicalness of church is not necessary anymore because I can have a relationship with God in my living room. I mean, due to the yeah. pandemic, we've, we, ha- we have had to have a relationship with God in our living room. <laughs> no, no, it's the truth. Like you grow up and you decide that, that you want to, you start questioning, you start questioning and just the things that you've been told. And so, yeah, so, so you're, you're right. And I think, and I think that like, I think that like people are looking, I think in this particular generation, like we're looking for, how do I word this? Like maybe we're looking for church to look different. Maybe it doesn't need Mm. to be what it's looked like before. Right. And so Mm. maybe there, maybe there's like an opportunity for us to reimagine what that looks like. And yes, 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 yes. I'm not a reformist. That's just, that's just not who I am. I'm more of a like, if it's not working, like, let's figure out how to recreate something different, like culture shifts, times, you know, things, society and culture shifts. And so like, how do we kind of shift and shape yes. this, um, our institutions and our systems to kind of move with, with however, with however things are kind of flowing. And so I think like, at least for a lot of the folks that I'm, I'm in community with, like, our church is, is doing the work on the ground, is doing mm-hmm. the justice work. It's, it's, it's doing it's doing what the call of Matthew is, right? That like to be with the least of these and that when you are with the least of these, you are with God. Right. Mm. Um, And so, and so maybe, maybe it's okay. Like we have this rich history and this rich tradition that we can, that we can draw on like within the black church around their commitments to like to community, like black community, like the, the right, like the, 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 the shifting and changing culture and and policies, not just for the black community, but for everybody, right? Like the, like the advocacy and the work that like the black church did during the civil rights era, like it changed, it changed the lives for black people and all people that live in this country. 
Right. So it did. And it really did. And we, and they owe us a lot. Like, Girl, they owe us like a our lot. Ancestors, and our we still, ancestors. We still don't get our credit, but they owe us a lot for that one. <laughs> Girl, right? And so, and so I guess it's like, it's like, let's like, yes, let's critique, you know, like let's critique because I think that we need profits and we need, we need to be held accountable and we need to critique these systems because the church is, is the, is, is a system that exists in a, in a culture and a world that was built on white supremacy. So it is, it is, so that structure is just as embedded in this, in the institution of church as it is in the corporation. Yeah. Right. It's in, in, in the Academy. So it's, it's everywhere. And I think that, that just because we come to God or we come to church, we, we tend to believe that like, somehow we're protected from those things. We're not because I mean, at the same time that like the black church um, as a collective organized for, for social justice, like there was also woundedness that happened at the same time, right? Sexism existed and patriarchy still existed and all those things were still happening within the church at that same time. So it's always a both ends. Um, But I, and I think that like we get to like take the rich history and this legacy that we get to have and we get to draw on that. And then we also get to do something different and create something new. And so I think that I, I, I see that happening now. I, I hear in my community how people talk about like movement work um, and building and building their church and having community um, that, that's outside of the church walls. And I think that like for me, when I go down to the Cook County jail and I sit in the carceral classroom and we're having conversations around God and like what that looks like for us. And we're also talking about how we change and transform our community. That's church. That is church for me. Cause of what I wanted to ask you was what shifts have you seen in our community and our generation and the younger generation um, that has brought them to religion? Cause I know that we've been talking about the things that has kind of taken older millennials or just certain women or people of color away from religion. But you hit the nail on the head earlier about church just needing to look different for this generation, for the younger generation, which I think until the pandemic, a lot of churches were not willing or just had the bandwidth or the Wi-Fi to put their sermons online or to have text messages to connect their uh, community in, and now everybody is very tech, tech savvy and, and, and rightfully so if you want to have a younger congregation. But what we're seeing and in policy, what we're seeing in politics, I think is also kind of what we're seeing in church is that everybody's very much so like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The word is what the word is and it's not changing. Very similar to like our constitution. Our constitution was written hundreds of years ago, but it's, it's supposed to still mean something today. The Bible was written thousands of years ago, but for some reason, those messages are supposed to apply to today. And I think if there's an opportunity for so many of our elders to reform their thoughts or to reframe a lot of these conversations around religion, you probably would have less people leaving the church. But I don't see their willingness to do so. But I do see that there are 
opportunities that people are kind of coming to find Jesus. I don't think it's through the path of church. I think it is very similar to the path that you came in. Like, look, all this other stuff not working. <laughs> I'm at my wit end. <laughs> I'm going to try a, how, a higher power because clearly I can't do it all on my own. And I think that's a beautiful way to find God. Probably the more authentic way than like being a kid, growing up around it and just being told what to do. Um, but have you started to see with the communities that you belong to that people are coming a little bit more into church? And if so, what's kind of drawing them in? Yeah, that's a really good question. I do want to say this, though, like, I think that God is everywhere we are, right? Like, I think everywhere we go, we can like we have access to God. Um, I don't we don't have to just go to church to find God. Right. Um, and I think that that's really important because I think that sometimes, especially in the Christian tradition, um there's this, I don't know. I don't know if it's like religious arrogance, religious re- superiority, but where it's just like, we think that we as Christian mm-hmm. people are bringing God somewhere. And it's like, no, 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 no. God's already there. We actually just get to partner with God, right? Like God, yeah. God's already on the ground doing the work with people. Um, and we, we just showing up. And so, and so I, yeah, so I think that that that's important. And I think, so to your question, because I mean, I don't go to church. Like I, I do have a church that I'm a part of and and I love and I really do love the church that I'm a part of. Um, I just don't attend regularly. And and it's and it's it's like an intergenerational church and there's more young folks. And what attracts the folks there is their commitments to justice. Mm. They gotta put some power. Some, to social the push justice. behind it. Yeah. The power yeah. and the push behind that message. It's not, yeah. it's not enough just to sit in church and then, you know, go to the fish fry afterwards. Like I, I need y'all out in these streets. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, like it's I need- 65 again. Right. Right. And it's just like, well, and I, and I think being, and I think it's like, it looks different for everybody, right? Like we're not all called to be community organizers, right? Like, true. That not all of not us are going to be that, change agents. Yeah, that is not, true. That is true. Well, I mean, I think we we are all change agents. We just have different lanes that we that, that we are agents of change mm-hmm. for. Good perspective. Right? Like perspective. some some folks are doing change work in by being therapists, right? But are you also a therapist who is socially conscious and aware of the ways in which racism and sexism and patriarchy and all these different things help kind of shape and socialize like right so it's like i think that there's that there's different ways that that we can do this like change work um in the lane in our respective lanes um how do you open up doors for folks to who've been historically um withheld access to certain rooms or certain jobs right um so how are you using your vote? So there's a lot of ways that we can do change work. But I think that like the church as a collective, um, like when a church has a mission as a collective to say that like we are a church that is fully committed to making the world a better place for everybody so that everyone can flourish. Everybody has access where oppression and injustice do not reign. And when you can have a church that is really committed to those things, I think that that's what's really drawing in this younger generation to seek out a church. That's a different type of church. Um, And at the same time, be a church that does do community building and does have the barbecue and the movie night, you know, and all of the activities that other people want to do and, 
and time for joy and laughter and all of those other things and to still study and learn. And so I, I think that when the, I think that those are things that I hear and I see people kind of yearning for or being attracted to um, the Christian church. And I would even agree. just like, and even just like more openness to like learning from other religious traditions. And maybe this is just some of like my own proximity, but it's like, I mean, we still have our highly conservative, you know, predominantly, I don't know, just highly conservative Christian sectors, you know, that are not, or just, just don't have tolerance for, for interreligious interfaith, you know, dialogue, um, building power relationships, you know, things like things of that nature. But I think I feel fortunate enough to be in these pockets in these communities where they really are interested and curious and respectful of being able to be in dialogue and learn from folks who come from a different faith tradition. Um, and, and that's a really beautiful thing. I think that, I, yeah. So I think if more churches um, or I think the churches that are doing those things are churches that are attractive to this generation as well. That's a very good point. A lot of friends who would want a church home, but because of that conservative stance in religion, them being gay or them having biracial children turns that like they're, they're not welcomed. And it's interesting that those are still some of the, um, some of the things that the church holds as a priority is like this very narrow mindset on what's accepted when I'm under the impression that all were accepted. So I actually have started to even see like a couple churches where like the pastor's a lesbian or they're just kind of like, we take everyone and they have like the gay flag outside. And it's beautiful to see because it's kind of yeah. like, those are some of the things that I know that I and other people have grappled with when it comes to faith and religion, that if you are gay or if you are in an interracial relationship or if you wear polyester, like just all if you had sex before marriage, all of those things are like, girl, you going to hell and you're like guilt ridden and you feel all this shame. And I'm like, this is not how I'm supposed to live my life full of shame. Like, mm -hmm. I thought I was supposed mm -hmm. to be out here living lavishly. He paid for all of my debts and sins. Why do I feel this way? And I just had to say, okay, then what is, what, what, what are we really trying to get out of like religion and spirituality? Because its purpose has changed so many times, but I really do find this to be a individual journey. Like, Going through religion, spirituality, talking to God, getting closer with him is a personal journey that I think and would encourage everyone to go on. It is very eye opening. But yeah. the fact that we have taken that very individual relationship and applied it to sexism and racism and patriarchy and capitalism, it's like it really has ruined a good thing. <laughs> so, so I want to say two things. So I want to say the first thing is that like, while I am, while I made that statement earlier about, you know, um, kind of reimagining church, I also want to say that there, mm -hmm. I think that there's a whole generation of, of millennials who are, 
are in who who are very committed to seeing the church be something different than what it is and to be a place that is inclusive mm. right a place that is that that isn't that is welcoming and inclusive and and like and literally is like constructing and creating a space where lgbtqia people feel safe right and so there's a whole generation this generation of those folks who are going to seminaries and they're finding themselves in more progressive um, Christian seminaries where they're wrestling with these questions and they're reinterpreting the Bible through a different lens, through the lens of like black women, through the lens of, of queer folk. Right. And they are yep. being, they, and, and their theology, it's beautiful and it's rich and it crosses these boundaries and it invites you to be expansive and to, and to reimagine deconstruct your Christianity mm. from white supremacy. Right. Mm. That there, that, mm. that, so, so, so there, there is, there are many different theologies out there, liberations theologies, right? Queer theologies, womanist theologies out there that are doing theology on the margins, from the margins, from people who are, oh my God, I think just giving us language, giving us that is a so different true. story, a reinterpretation. And so those places exist. And I do, and, and I'm really grateful for the, for the millennials or the younger generation, this generation, even folks in my generation as well, that are doing that work, um, creating new bodies of knowledge and information for us to be able to wrestle with. So that that does happen. And I think the other thing too is that I I, I think that I think that spirituality and religion, I think it's a both end. Like, yes, it is mm. this, this this personal relationship where you're developing like an intimate relationship, but it's done in community too. Right. And really? so, so it is a both and I think and I think like that's a good point, though, because I've, I've never looked at it as a as a community standpoint. But because I think once it gets to community and everyone's so different and start your perspective starts to. I, the word that came to mind was tainted, but I don't we're just going to it starts to be tainted because it's so precious. But I see your side of like being able to grow within it because you have that family. Sometimes right. because I've been scarred by church, I don't trust that family. It's the, it's it's not okay. So here's the thing, right? It's the fact that you're that you've been hurt or wounded by a church community that what that didn't that didn't have these core values. It didn't create a culture where you could kind of wrestle with the text or wrestle yeah. with your faith and step outside of the margins without being condemned or shamed or punished or told that you don't have Jesus, right? So like, there's just like these really harmful places, but. But like the, the, like when we think about like the time period in which scriptures were written, it wasn't a individualistic culture. It was a communal culture. It was a collective culture. So oftentimes it is, it is not, I have been say, but we have, right? Like, yeah. like your, like your sins have been forgiven because you as a community have done these things. Right. So it is a very collective faith, very collective religious religion. But the way that it that it that it that it works itself out in our current cultural time period is very individualistic because we live in a very individualistic culture, one that's very competitive. Right. Yeah. And so and very so I don't I white supremacist, very white supremacist. <laughs> right. And so I think that we don't have the cultural values oftentimes. Um, in some of these rigid faith spaces to be able to hold space for multiple perspectives 
And I think that's part of what the, the tension is. That's so true. <laughs> that is so true. I never thought of it from the perspective of like, it is very community based because God is like, no, it's not just like he messed up y'all messed up you know like yeah yeah because he wipes cities out so like (laughs) it just doesn't take the individual it is a collective mindset honestly outside of like some places in europe in like america a lot of other countries are very collective where we are centered or we center individualism heavily um and it and we and we're like really getting to the root of all of this is because white supremacy has really infected every other area, including religion. Because of the conversation with you, I'm going to try to be more open about sharing these things and finding a family. Um, but a lot of times, girl, white supremacy has ruined everything and I want to know what religion looks like without it with me just exploring it because I do believe that like when people say oh that African witchcraft I think because of white supremacy being seeped into Christianity we we who are who are from an African descent are seeing African religion as witchcraft who says why white supremacy (laughs) says White supremacy says so. I like those little things. I have to go back, 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 and then like start all the way over with my spirituality to say like, okay, now what do I believe as it shows up? Like, because a lot of those things that I was taught, I don't, I, I don't believe anymore. Like, I don't believe that it's like voodoo and hoodoo is of the devil, or like African spirituality is of the devil. I actually questioned the devil story in itself. Like, <laughs> good. <laughs> wrestle so, with it. Question. Right. It's a lot, like, it's a lot of questions. It's a lot of wrestling. Um, Let me ask you this. When you went to seminary school, what was like the biggest question you had going in, knowing what you knew about religion, having questions if you had any? What was your biggest question that you had? And then what was the biggest aha moment about God? My biggest question was like, why the fuck am I here? (laughs) (laughs) That was my biggest question. You're like, Lord, I showed up. Now what? (laughs) What am I doing here? That was my, that was like my biggest question. But okay. So all jokes aside, um, I actually, I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to answer this question. So I didn't go into seminary knowing why I was there. I'm just being honest. Like I went in there knowing that I was supposed to be there. Yeah. And I don't want to say like blind orders. You know what I mean? Like I I have, I have a hard time with with some of those things too, but I, cause I don't feel like God forces us to do anything. I feel like God's a God of consent. Um, and so, but I did feel like there was this yearning, this calling, this desire to want to know more about this religion, this faith that I felt so captivated by in this intimate relationship that I had. And so I think in a lot of ways, like seminary was my first formal kind of discipleship in the Christian faith, in the Christian tradition. Um, And so I actually started in Southern California at a very conservative um, evangelical seminary. And girl, I grew up in El Paso, Texas. It's a border city. So 
I have spent most of my time, most of my life in predominantly minority communities, never in primarily um, dominant culture communities, like amongst white folk. So this was the first time in my life that I had, that I was literally kind of like swimming and surrounded by white folk. And, and it was, it was a very, it was a very eye-opening experience to, to learn about the Christian tradition in a predominantly white space. And, and there was a lot of things where I was just like, oh yeah, this is not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately, immediately, immediately. after, after, after I was just like, okay, there isn't something wrong with me. Like there was, I mean, there was just like these cultural things where I was just like, is there something wrong with me? Like, and then I I literally, I was just like, cause I've I've just, I've never felt this much of, I don't know what this is. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. But something's in the water and it's making me question my whole identity. And so like, (laughs) it was just a very interesting place. Like, I mean, I literally had one of my professors like tell me that because somebody didn't come and preach literally the gospel message to me. And I didn't like do the sinner's prayer that I wasn't saved. Wait, what? Like literally made me question my own salvation. Uh, Right. Right. And then, and then, and then like, I, 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 I was like, yeah, no, I don't believe that women can't preach. Like, I don't know who told you that, but like, I may not have grown up in the church, but I went to a church and there was a co-pastor and she was preaching. So like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so, right. like, so I mean, there was like, there was like these bumps, you know, or the, these tensions. But on the other hand of that, like there was also some like really critical things that I learned, like some lessons, you know, I took a philosophy class. We'll probably never do that again. Um, and, <laughs> and I, it was like, I was like, oh, I like these people. Like they're questioning the Christian tradition and they're wrestling with some things and they're curious and they're debating things. And I really love that. Um, I just, I didn't, there was just some things I did not fundamentally believe about how they viewed Christianity, right? Like around like same sex marriage and like LGBTQIA community and, women in the church. Like, so there was just some fundamental things that were wrong with that for me. Um, but I did learn some really great kind of like skills, um, being there. So I ended up leaving the church. I ended up leaving that seminary and completely uncertain about what I was going to do next. Cause, and then I think the other thing is, it's like, I, I think when I came into the faith, like I kind of thought that the only thing that I could do would be a pastor, but I was like, I don't be a pastor. I don't think that's my calling. So it was like, as I kind of like was, was in this space, it was like, oh no, there's a lot of different things I can do. But then I ended up finding Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary, which is how I ended up in Chicago. And they're in Evanston. And Garrett is, Garrett was just like, okay, like this is like, this is more my speed. These are more my folks, you know? Um, And then they had a public ministry degree program. And so I was able to take this public, this, this public ministry program. And so I think, I think my, so to your question is like, so the first question is like, why the fuck am I here? And then when I kind of figured that piece out, um, I think one of the biggest questions that I was kind of, um, I think, I think I wanted to understand like how I could do the work of justice on the ground in communities, in organizations. And, and I was most interested in doing this work around like abolition 
and in mass incarceration. And so Garrett, what I loved about Garrett is that like they gave me skills to like have a social analysis as well as like then trying to think about that theologically. And so that's where I was introduced to so many different um, theologies and I only got a master's degree. And so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert in any of this. Like, I feel like what it gave me was just kind of like, like this wide buffet and I could just kind of like take a taste and a sample of everything, you know, and then be like, oh, this is so yummy. And I, some point I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to continue to dig deeper, you know? And so Garrett was, oh my gosh, Garrett was a place that just gave me something that I didn't even know that I was really searching for. I love that. See, that representation of God-fearing individuals needs to be out there more because what we do see is tainting. (laughs) It is tainting y'all's reputation. I'm just saying. Well, no, no, I hear you. And I, I think, I think that I, I think more and more, you know, I just, I was part of a panel, um, around Christian leftism and, Ooh, and the church. I'm yeah, assuming that's so, like liberatory mindset. No, 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 just kind of, of like more, stuff. no, more political, more political, <laughs> more political. Like, yeah. More, more in like more into policies and, and practices that are that 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 tend to the needs of the marginalized folks, right? That make okay. and so yeah, so so it's it's more it's more progressive. I don't know if progressive is the right word, but like um policies that are gonna open up access for people who have historically been marginalized, as I think is the best Perfect. way that I that I can kind of say that. Um okay. and so and so there's this idea of like so I love that. I love that being a part of that panel because it's just like I think what happened, what what we discovered is that like, wow, there are more Christian people that are actually more kind of liberal in their policies and and the way that they the, the way that they do civic engagement. And so it gave us so so I think that like we're gonna continue to organize and we're gonna continue to build power and and say, hey, like we're here too. Um, because, because you're right. And so even the school that I go, like even like McCormick, which is who I work for right now, McCormick Theological Seminary, like they are like, they are very much like a, a social justice seminary, right? Um, that, that wants to do the work in the community. And so, I mean, that's why I'm at the jail, you know, offering yeah. theological education at the Cook County Department of Corrections. Um, yeah. we, I mean, I'm, I'm connected to, to, I mean, there's a woman, um, I don't have the book with me right now, but she, she's, um, she is ordained and she just wrote a whole book. Oh God, I'm going to escape me on abolition and like, and, and basically kind of like her, her journey to becoming a pastor who's also an abolitionist and who's on the ground doing community organizing. When you find the info, send it to me. I'll put it like in the little description of this episode. (laughs) Her name is L Dowd and God. L Dowd. We'll put the information about the book in the description below y'all. Yeah. So, so, I mean, they're out there. Like, um, I know another woman, Marilyn Bygone Banks, like she was organizing, um, to end, um, cash bail, right. At the Cook County Department of Corrections, um, or here, just, just in, 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 in Illinois in general. And so, I mean, we're there, we're out there. There's a whole community of us. 
And you all are definitely necessary, needed, and literally like little angels on earth. So thank you so much for the work that you do, Gia. And thank you so much for coming and being a guest yeah, on the podcast. Absolutely. Because this you. was a <laughs> a fantastic eye-opening conversation that I hope so many of you all will hear and then just start to reflect internally about your own relationship with God where you stand religiously, where you are spiritually, start unpacking, asking the tough questions, diving deeper, learning more, because it's honestly how you grow as an individual and it makes you such a beautiful soul. And I'm so happy to have a beautiful soul to speak to about this topic. Thank you so much, Gia. I can't wait until you come back to Chicago. I know, I'll be with you. <laughs> We're going to get a whole bunch of wine, Let's hang out with cutie. We have our priorities right. I know. <laughs> We know how to prioritize what's important. The wine. Right, right. <laughs> wine first. Then we'll talk about everything else. There you <laughs> go. There you grab go. the bottle and get the glasses. Yes, yes. I love you so much. And I'm so, I love the work that you're doing. I have tuned in. And so you keep doing what you're doing and building community and talking about really important topics. And you continue to be just this like amazing bright light that we also need.